Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Fire and Rain, the podcast where we talk about mental health and its relationship to leadership, the workplace, and your personal life. My mission is easy. It's to help others achieve the life that they deserve. I do this by talking first so that you can win the battle with mental health. In any conflict, there are two sides. And by better understanding your opposition, what its strengths are, what its weaknesses are, what it can and can't do to you, your chances of success are greatly improved. So if you're looking for real conversation that will positively alter your life, you're in the right place. Welcome to Fire and Rain. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is David Lewis. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Fire and Rain, Episode 1. This is the introduction, and I'm really excited. I'm excited that I finally started a podcast. Uh, This has been a long time coming, and I just want to say thank you for being here. Hopefully, I am able to add value to your life and improve your life in some fashion. And I'm going to do this by completely being completely vulnerable about my past and things that I've experienced. I really think that over the years I have gained a PhD in pain and suffering. I've gone through PTSD. I've gone through depression. I've gone through anxiety, suicide ideation, acute stress disorder, OCD. I mean, you name it. I think I, I've had therapists tell me I have just been like riddled with mental health issues. And I was never, ever, ever thinking I would be somebody that had mental health issues. Stuff just didn't bother me. Uh, but then I had a significant event take place in my life and it just seemed to open up the doors to all of these mental health issues to start taking over my life because I neglected mental health. I didn't take care of myself. I thought that I could fix the issue myself and it, 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 it completely ruined my life and nearly my family's life for, for a, a very, very long time. And so if I can tell you what I went through so that you don't make that same mistake, it'll be worth it. So who am I? My name is David Lewis, and I'm a, a battalion chief with a local fire department. Now, for those of you who don't understand what a battalion chief is, think of your city, your town, the area that you live. And I want you to break that up into, let's just say, three sections. So as a battalion chief, I am responsible for one of those sections of the city. Now, within my section, that area is broken down into stations. So I have about uh, 45 people that I supervise on a daily basis, five stations total. There's several specialty teams within my battalion. So I have a lot of responsibility, not just in terms of what I take care of on a day-to-day But I think most importantly, I'm responsible for lives. My decisions need to be spot on. My actions need to be correct. What I do out there impacts not just the lives of those that I'm responsible for, but for their families too. And that's important to note because as I mentioned, I had some mental health issues. And I told you that I was hiding them. Now this ruined my own life for a very, very long time. But I want you to think about the wrong action, the wrong order that I gave somebody on an emergency scene. If that decision that I, was, I made was based off of 
my emotional state, my handicap because of the mental health problems I was having, I could have gotten somebody hurt. There could have been a, a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter, a mom or a dad that didn't get to see a family member. And that was very irresponsible of me. And I'm going to be completely vulnerable about how I got there, what transpired, and everything in between. Because again, I don't want you to make that same mistake. So 18 years is what I've been with the, the fire department, um, currently battalion chief. And I think that's probably where I would like to finish up my career. I've, I'm not going to mention which department. Uh, I don't feel it's relevant to state which department. Not for the sake of me trying to hide anything. I, I love my department. I, I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me. The, the men and women that I work for, what the department has done for me, it, they're fantastic. And so I'm not going to do anything to shine a negative light on, on my department whatsoever. If anything, I'm going to talk about my actions and how that relates to my position. So I think with regards to who is this podcast for? Well, I work closely with the police. And I think from what I have gathered, the police department is probably experiencing a lot of what we experience mental health wise. Uh, This is also for military individuals because very much in the same fashion, our professions are, they're kind of based off of this go, go, go. You fix the problems. You make everything right. You don't have, you don't have personal issues type atmosphere. And it's not really a common place for individuals in any of these professions to come forward and say, I have mental health issues. It does happen, but it's not the common practice. And so what we oftentimes have, have take place, especially within the fire service is that we have a very high suicide rate. Well, it's a, you would think that if there was going to be anybody in the fire service, um, unfortunately dying, the, the misconception is that we're out there and we're burning in buildings, but that's not the truth. The rate that firefighters are killing themselves at a higher rate than they are dying in, inside a structure fire is significant. And that should tell you something. It should tell you something that when you, you read a report from a family member or a close friend of somebody that just recently committed suicide and they're saying, well, I had no idea. He or she was so happy. And then the next day they killed themselves. Well, there's a reason why that person was happy. It's because they, they knew what was coming. They were able to hide it so well and they felt freedom in knowing that they were going to kill their lives or take their, their own lives. And that's extremely sad because I was there and I understand that when you're making plans to kill yourself, if you were making plans for that day and you were to write out a list of things that you were going to do, go to the grocery store, mow the lawn, do some chores, kill yourself, all those things to a person that is having a mental health crisis they all weigh the same. It's just things that you're going to do. Now to a normal person, you look at that list and you're like, what? Kill yourself. Stop. Let's talk about that. 
but to somebody that is mentally, let's just say unhealthy, right? They all weigh the same. There's no difference in it. You want it to happen. And oftentimes people are really good at hiding things like this. They're, they're good at hiding their suicide ideation. They're, they're good at hiding the plans that they are making to take their own life because they want the pain to end. And because I went through that, I cannot sit by and not share my story. I cannot sit by and hear of men and women going into these extreme circumstances and and these situations within their career and knowing, knowing that inside they are having difficulties and they're having struggles comprehending and processing what they've witnessed with their own eyes. And they're not reaching out for help oftentimes. And when you don't reach out for help, things fester inside. And just like fire in the natural, I look at, I've named this podcast Fire and Rain. The fire stands for a significant event that you've gone through or you've witnessed that has greatly impacted the way that you feel, the way that you act, the way that you think, the way that you you have relationships. And so that's what the fire means. And just like somebody ignoring something significant that happened or they've witnessed and it starts to fester, it's just like fire in the natural. What does fire do? It consumes everything around it. It burns it to the ground. It makes it so that it does not exist any more. And I can't stand by and not try to do something. So that's what this podcast is about. So that's what fire is. Rain, well, that's the goal. Fire and rain. But this is rain as in you are raining over something. You have dominion over something. Your issues no longer own you. You are in control and you own everything that has happened to you. And you're no longer subject to the depression. You're no longer subject to the anxiety, the suicide ideation, the the life-altering thoughts and habits that are negatively impacting you on a daily basis. That's what RAIN means. The vision statement for this company is to live victoriously. And I know that sounds a little bit hokey, but that's the goal, to be above it all. It's not saying that you're free from it and that you'll never have problems ever again in your life. But I think so many times, whenever I've had problems in the past and I've seen other people have issues, the first step that people often take is to They want to just, it'll go away. It'll fix itself. But does that often happen? Even if it's a small fire, do small fires grow? They sure do. But why do we do that? It's because we're afraid to open up and we're afraid to say that, hey, you know what? I'm having issues with something. Whether you're fire, police, EMS, military, whatever it might be, could be in the medical field. 
We're afraid to open up and we're afraid to look imperfect. So I want to help you. So I'm going to start with my story first, and I'm going to give you a little insight into who Dave Lewis is. I'm not a therapist, and I'm not going to be providing any type of medical advice. I'm not going to give you any prescriptions to follow. I want to simply be vulnerable so that I can promote vulnerability within you if you're having problems so that you can get the help that you need from a professional, from somebody that can really dive deep into your problems and give you a 360 treatment to get you back to where you need to be. Because if we're hiding our problems and we're feeling as if opening up and talking about the things that are going on in your head, how this is impacting you, it's not healthy. You're just hiding a fire that you can't put out by yourself. You need help. I've been there. We all need help at some point in our lives. And so that's what I want to do. I want to promote vulnerability so that you can recognize that it's okay to not be okay. And that when you're not right, you know what to do to take care of yourself for the betterment of your family, for yourself, for your profession, and everybody else that you have responsibility to, and everybody else around you. You have loved ones in your life, and they need you. They want you to be around. And there's nothing wrong with admitting when you're a little bit weak. So my story started July 1, 2012. It's 1 a.m. in the morning, and I am standing in my living room with my wife. And we are holding our dead baby in our hands. Now, this might seem significant in itself, but what I did next really started me down the wrong path. Six hours later, after holding my dead baby in my hands in my living room with my wife, July 1, 2012, I decided that I was going to go to work at the fire station. At the time, I was a fire captain, which meant that I ran a station. I had multiple people under my care. I was in charge of, depending on however many people came to work that day, up to 10 people. And I was not in the right mindset to be at work. Now, I can tell you the reason I did that is because I was in shock. I didn't know it at the time. A therapist once told me that's the reason why. I was basically operating in autopilot. I was doing what I knew. And I knew how to fight fire. So that's what I did. I had multiple years within the fire service at that point. And my mindset was I fix things. But I had just encountered a very significant event. I encountered my fire. And I couldn't put this fire out. I couldn't solve this problem. I had to start planning my child's funeral. I didn't know how to do that. Who, who teaches that? Nobody. Nobody should have to understand the right steps to take. So it's okay now 
thinking back that I, I, I had no plan. Nobody would have. I needed to be there for my wife, but I shut down and I shut her out. So what I did was I put all my feelings in this little ball, so to speak, and I put it in my pocket and I had hoped that it would just get lost in the laundry. I didn't want to talk about my problems. I didn't want to talk about my feelings. I went to work and I put on this mask that I was confident that I was okay, that I had no problems, that nothing was out of the ordinary that day. But yeah, I went to work and I was responsible for the lives of many individuals, for the citizens that were calling us, and I had no business being at work. And I think back to something I heard once from an individual in the military stating, are you an asset or are you a liability? Now, from a human, re- human resource standpoint, I can tell you right now, any person that might work in HR that is listening to this, you're going to be like, oh, absolutely, that person is a liability. And I, and I truly was. But I didn't see it at the time. I was just protecting myself. But I look back and I say, what I did was completely wrong. It was so irresponsible of me. And I wish I hadn't have done it. But I did it day in, day out. And I just, I couldn't get out of the routine. I was not willing to talk about my problems. I would go home and I would be completely exhausted. I had nothing left for my wife. My son, who was little at the time, this is my other child, I had nothing left for them because I went to work and I put on this mask that I was okay and it literally took every ounce of mental energy just to get throughout through the 24-hour shift. I was putting work and this feeling that I needed to hide what was going on really in my life ahead of my family. I felt that if I started telling people what was going on in my, in my head, what I was feeling, what I was experiencing, they were going to look at me and, and say I was weak. And that's, that's so looking, I can say that now because I've, I've been through the therapy, y'all. Let me tell you, I've been through the ringer when it comes to therapy. And I can say it now easily that it was the wrong thing to do. But what this ultimately did was it started to break me down. This started to deteriorate my ability to function in the workplace, to, if if I had anything to give my family, it just day by day, it was completely gone. My wife, for a very long time, she thought I hated her. She was grieving in her own way, and I wasn't there to support her. So it took all this energy to pretend that I was okay at the workplace. And when I came home, she would need me. She needed her husband. She needed to talk. And I wanted nothing to do with what what happened. I didn't want to talk about burying our kid. I didn't want to talk about her feelings because I knew if she was going to cry, I just felt like I had nothing to give her. 
I was angry. I was upset. I was lost. And so was she. And I just completely neglected everything. And it got so bad that eventually the depression came. Eventually the anxiety started coming on. And I was never like this before. For years in the fire service, we would have horrendous calls. We would have all these bad things happen around us. I remember that there was this one time I'm walking down the interstate after a tow truck driver got hit by a passerby on the interstate. And the witnesses that were driving by said that the tow truck's by, uh, the driver's body exploded. And they were absolutely correct. I was walking down the interstate around the area that it happened. And I remember I'm looking at a foot. I'm looking at part of a leg, part of a shoulder, the upper torso, intestines. All these things just, it was like a bomb went off. And this guy was in the vicinity and he exploded. And I remember seeing all these things. And the only thing I'm thinking about is there's still one more piece of chicken parmesan left back at the fire station. Man, I sure hope I get that piece of chicken parmesan. Right? I wasn't thinking about any of this stuff that I'm seeing in front of me. It didn't bother me. I felt pretty much, in, I, don't know, I, was, I was resilient when it came to it. I had this, this shield up. But what happened is that when we lost our kid and I started hiding everything, it just seemed to open up the floodgates for all of these other emotions that I I had never experienced before. So all these calls now that we were going to where in the past they didn't impact me, now they were severely altering how I function day to day. We would go and, example, it's very routine for any ambulance for any fire truck to get called out to help somebody that's elderly. Maybe they fell. And we would go and we'd pick them up. Oftentimes they're not hurt. They just need a hand getting back in their chair, getting to their walker, whatever it might be. They just, they can, if they're up, they're okay. When they're down, they might need a little bit of assistance. We would go to these calls all the time. Not a big deal. Well, I would go to these calls and all of a sudden my mind starts racing what if this lady was on the floor for 16 more hours and nobody found her? What if she was on the floor for two days and she couldn't, she couldn't call 911? And I would, I, I would start having all these like panic attacks. So after these routine calls that we used to go to where they're not significant at all, as soon as we got back to the station, I would make a straight path right to the bunk room. This is where my bed was and I had separate sleeping quarters where I could be by myself. And I'd go back there and I remember I would start bawling my eyes out and like loud type, like ugly crying where I couldn't control the noise I was making. I just had all of this emotion just pouring out of me, thinking all the worst case scenarios. And it sounds completely crazy to say now, but that's where this led. And I remember muffling the cries with my pillow, just Whole, gripping the, the, the pillow till my knuckles were white and pressing the pillow against my face, trying to muffle the noise that I couldn't control as I'm just crying relentlessly. 
And then after it was done, I'd try to gather myself and then I'd walk out into the rest of the fire station like nothing was going on. Right? That's what I was doing. That's what this did to me. There were calls I was on where eventually my body said, Dave, you are holding too much inside of you. And you can't hold anymore. Something has to give. And on some calls, I started losing the ability to hear. The stress was so great that my, I, I, lost, uh, I lost the ability to, to hear what was going on around me. And then I started having these kind of like daytime blackouts. And I'll talk about these at a later time where I didn't know what had happened for an extended period of time. And it's like all of a sudden when I came back to or came back around, I didn't know how I got there. Now, as a supervisor, I want you to think about that. If you are in, are you, if you are in charge of people, I, I want you to heed my words. Okay, I never in my life thought that I would be risking somebody else's well-being based on my mental incapacity. But it can, if it, and I'm telling you, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. So if you have something going on in your life, you need to recognize the importance of mental health and what that can do to you, what that can do to somebody else, your job responsibilities. If you're in HR, you need to understand that this is a significant problem within the work workplace. And that oftentimes... When things are brought to your attention, we oftentimes punish the wrong thing, right? Somebody might act out inappropriately on a call. Somebody might act inappropriately, break policy and procedure and do something wrong. But many times there's a reason for it. Many times it's because something, is, something else is going on. So that's how I got there, basically neglecting everything else. And it nearly destroyed me. I had so much mental turmoil going on inside my head that the depression, the best way I can describe it, it's like the heaviest blanket you will ever wear. And what I mean by that is that I think most people can understand the statement of what, a, what it means to have a, a hallway closet like a coat closet in your house or your apartment. So if I were to take this heavy blanket that represents depression, the thickest blanket that you can possibly find, or maybe you've ever had the opportunity to have over top of you, I want you to think about that. And you take that blanket and you put it over you. And then you open that coat closet that's completely empty and you go and you sit down in there with this blanket over top of you and you close the door. There is absolutely no light. And you have this weight that's pressing down on you. That's what depression feels like. Now try to imagine managing day to day, putting on this happy face like nothing's bothering you whatsoever, going about your work life and all the friends that are encountering you, that you encounter. Hey Dave, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. But inside, 
that's what you feel like mentally. And then after your work day, imagine how exhausted you are. And if you are like me and you have a husband and you have, or I mean, sorry, you're a husband and you have a, a wife or you have another spouse or you have kids that you're responsible for to spend time with, but you have nothing to give them, you're, you're hurting them. You're putting them in a position that they don't deserve to be in. And that's where I was. And so I, I neglected my anxiety. I neglected my depression. And I wanted it to end. And I, I've never had suicide ideation prior to this. I never thought about killing myself. I'm like, life is good. Life is great. Why would I want to do that? I could not understand... When I first came in the fire department, we'd always go on these, these mental health issue calls where somebody was feeling suicidal. And even though my bedside manners were what I would consider very good, never made fun of the patient, always showed sympathy inside, I just could not comprehend how they got there. I would just be as nice as I could. I'd treat them the best that I could, make them comfortable, talk to them, get them to a place where they felt safe, get them the treatment that they needed. And I'd walk away from these calls just saying, like, man, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. That's weird. You know, I just didn't understand. And lo and behold, I was there. And I knew it was coming. When I started having that real heavy depression, I knew it, I knew that the suicide ideation was coming. And when you, if you've never had suicide ideation, if you're somebody in the present that represents how I used to be, where you're not having mental issues, don't think that you're above this. But I'm going to try to, to explain what suicide ideation is. It's where you're thinking about it. It's where you're planning it. And it's where when the thoughts come, you can't stop them. It's like looking at a truck that's coming down the road fully loaded and there's nothing you can do about it. That truck is going to come down that road regardless. And that's how suicide ideation thoughts are. Man, when they, when they start rolling down the road and they're, they're, they're coming and they enter your mind. And what's strange about it is that when you have all this other pain and suffering going on, this anxiety and this depression, and you feel lost and you feel worthless and you feel like you are just absolutely of no value to your position, to your family, to anything in life. When the suicide thoughts come, you want to do it. And that's where I was. And so my love language is to help people. It's to do things for people. And what's crazy is that when I decided that I was going to hang myself, see, I've never shot a gun. I didn't like the idea of stabbing myself. But being in the fire department, I was on a team called the Technical Rescue Team where we do confined space, we do trench rescue, vehicle extrication, kind of thinking, think along the lines of Jaws of Life, that type of stuff. We also did rope rescue. And I taught these courses. I was what was considered a rescue specialist for a, an organization within my, within my state. And so for many years, I traveled my state to all other types of departments, uh, teaching these classes. So I knew ropes very, very well. I understood how much force could be generated from a specific drop. And so I started 
planning on hanging myself. I knew how to do it. I knew what I was going to do it with. I was going to do it with electrical cord. But my love language wouldn't allow, allow me to do it just solely that. I had, to, I had to think about my wife and I had to think about my son. And so I started making these lists. Because of my love, my love language, I would say, well, it's okay for me if I go and I buy my, my, my son a toy. If, if I do something nice for my wife, I mow the lawn, I do the laundry, I go grocery shopping, and then at the end of my list, and this is a physical list that I was making, I could kill myself. And the only thing that saved me at that time was I was so unorganized that I couldn't get through the first thing. I couldn't go to the store. If I had to go and buy milk, I couldn't decide. Was it going to be whole milk? Was it going to be 2%? If I was going to buy a toy for my son, was he going to like this one or this one? And I'd start having all these panic attacks in the store and I'd just walk right out. So my list was never complete. But as I'm making my list, you have to understand that everything weighed the same. That was my mindset. I, you know, I wanted to die. And it, writing it down on paper, it was the same thing as saying, mow the lawn. But I was so unorganized that I could not get through my list. And so each day, I continually, I, I kept writing my list thinking, I'm going to get through it. I'm going to take care of my family. They're going to be so happy that I did all these things for them. And then I can, then I can end it. And that is absolutely crazy talk. You're probably listening to this and you're saying, this guy is a freaking wacko. But yes, that's where neglecting my problems took me to a place that I never, ever expected to be. And it can happen to you too. And it was just by sheer chance that one day I had a moment of clarity. And I was able to look at my life from a 30,000 foot view. And I, I got scared. That moment of clarity, I was able to look at the list that I was making. I was able to look at my mindset. I was able to look at my family. And I was able to see how selfish I was. I had been running and hiding from my problems for so long that it grew into numerous mental health issues. And it ultimately got me to a place where I was physically taking pen to paper and writing down everything I was going to do that day, finishing the day before my wife got home, before my son got home from childcare with ending my life. All because I neglected to take care of myself. And I know that there are other people out there right now who are suffering. You're suffering in silence. Just as I did, I put on my mask and I went to work. You're wearing a mask right now. You're hurting inside. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to ask for help. I wish I had somebody tell me that a long time ago. 
I can tell you from firsthand experience, by me going through the therapy that I did, by literally running to the therapist, walking in their office like in a frantic, they could see that I needed help. Regardless of whether they were taking new patients or not, they saw it. I can tell you that was probably one of the best things I ever did. And it's something that many of you out there need to do. Hiding in your sorrow, your depression, your pain, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to go away. Remember, this is a fire. And what does fire do? It consumes and it burns you. It takes everything from you and leaves nothing but ash and destruction. Get help if this is you. So there's a lot that I just went through. But I wanted to be completely vulnerable. I wanted to open up and I wanted to let you know who I am and where I'm coming from. Because it's a place that is completely non-judgmental. I recently taught a course that has to do with leading through PTSD, depression, and suicide ideation. And it's not really directed towards individuals that would be in a leadership or management position. I think anybody in life, to some degree, you're leading. You might be leading your family. You might be leading your, your, your kid. It might be a small team. could be a big team. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're the CEO or you're the, you're the top boss. But when I taught this class... Afterwards, I was, I was thinking that it didn't make an impact. I shared my story. I was completely vulnerable. I promoted individuals seeking professional help to get past their problems. And I walked out of there feeling as if I didn't make an impact, that this was kind of a waste of time. And then I started getting emails. And then I started getting phone calls. And people were sharing with me some very intimate details, things that were going on in their own lives that I had no idea. They, too, were wearing masks. They, too, were having many of the same problems I did. And I didn't know. I had no clue. Nobody knew. They were doing the exact same thing. And I realized after that that this issue is pretty significant. For those of us in fire, EMS, police, military, we're not getting called out to a wedding. You know, our dispatch isn't coming over the air. Uh, Engine 7, I need need you to respond to a wedding to celebrate and have some wedding cake. Get on the dance floor. Relax. No, we're getting called to the multi-vehicle accident where the three kids weren't restrained properly in child safety seats. The vehicle rolled. Kids were ejected, bodies on the interstate. We're getting dispatched to the domestic dispute where somebody was stabbed repeatedly. Right? We don't get an opportunity to turn a, turn a blind eye. We are going into these things completely present in the moment. Like We have to absorb it in so many ways. We... We remember the smells. We remember the sounds. We remember specific 
um, things that resonate and they stay with us and they can be triggers later on. And that's just compounding and compounding and compounding and eventually something has to give. And it made me realize that for far too long within our professions, professions, we have been just turning a blind eye. I really feel like industries across this nation are just checking a box when it comes to problems with mental health. Oh, you might have peer support. Yep, we're just going to check that box. But is it, is it really helping? How do you know? Are you doing follow-ups? Do you have statistical data to show that individuals are reaching out? Do you have training programs within your organization that really focus on mental health? Do you have backing from HR that says, we understand your men and women, men and women are going through some of the, the most horrific and stressful events that anyone could imagine time and time again. And we understand that this can alter the way that somebody acts. And so if something happens, let's just say that person that's having a very difficult time starts to do things out of the regular and get in trouble, we understand that that's not normal for them. We're not going to punish that. We're going to dive deep and understand how they got here. What happened? How can we help them? These are the things that I would like to see. So that's a little bit about me and we're going to dive deep into some topics and I would love to answer your questions and I would be honored if you come back time and time again and you listen because hopefully I'll, I can add value. Hopefully I can share my story. This isn't a crying session whatsoever. This is, uh, I'm, I'm far beyond that. I'm not going to be someone just saying, I really want to help people and, and hope that, you know, as I'm talking about it, I'm, I'm providing, you know, therapy to myself. I've, I'm, that's not this at all. I was once listening to a podcast and it was, uh, you might recognize the, the name Gary Vaynerchuk. And he was doing a Q&A in some large auditorium and some lady came up and she was asking Gary, you know, when's the right time to start my podcast? I went through something significant and I just really want to help people. But it wasn't in that manner. She was actually just like breaking down and crying as she's talking about, I went through some, something significant and I want to help people. Like she's, she's bawling her eyes out. And it was a missed moment where I think Gary Vaynerchuk should have recognized that this lady was not in a place where she could mentally talk about these things. You know, she was in a place where she needed to get help. It was obvious she was not beyond this. So I don't want you think thinking that's what this is going to be for me. Again, this is non-judgmental. This is me being completely open, vulnerable with everything that I went through. It's taken a long time to get here. A lot of therapy, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of self-processing, a lot of professional help to get to a place where I can stand before you and say that I supervise 45 people on a daily basis at work. And there was a point in my career where I should not have. Here's how I got here. I can stand before you and say, I did things in my career that I should not have done. 
here's the underlying problem that got me to that area. And we're going to make things better. I promise. So if you like what you heard, please subscribe. If you have any questions, I would love to hear from you. You can reach out by email at writing me at fireandrainco at gmail.com. Rain is spelled R-E-I-G-N. I will try to answer any questions that I possibly have. I'll thank you so much for listening in, and we'll see you next time. I love you. Take care.